0: Good morning, my name is Brianna and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome you to Uber's Q3 2023 Earnings Conference Call. Please note that this call is being recorded. All participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star 1 again. Thank you. I will now turn today's call over to Alex Wong, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Operator. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to Uber's third quarter 2023 earnings presentation. On the call today, we have Uber's CEO, Dara Khazashahi, and CFO, Nelson Che. During today's call, we'll present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures, additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures including a reconciliation of gap to non-gap measures are included in the press release, supplemental slides, and our filings with the SEC, each of which is posted to investor.uber.com. As a reminder, these numbers are unaudited and may be subject to change. Certain statements in this presentation and on this call are forward-looking statements. You should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements, and we do not underwrite any obligation to update any forward-looking statements we make today except as required by law. For more information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from forward-looking statements, please refer to the press release we issued today, as well as risks and uncertainties described in our most recent Form 10-K and other filings made with the SEC. We published our quarterly earnings press release, prepared remarks, and supplemental slides to our Investor Relations website earlier today, and we ask you to review those documents if you haven't already. We will open the call to questions following brief opening remarks from Dara. With that, let me hand it over to Dara.
2: Thanks, Alex. Q3 marks another very strong quarter for for Uber. Year-on-year, trip growth accelerated to 25% from 22% in Q2, outpacing gross bookings growth for the third quarter in a row. Trip growth was powered by strong audience and frequency trends as consumer activity remains robust, heading into our busiest period of the year. Notably, monthly trips per MAPSE continue to steadily increase, matching our all-time high. At the same time, Adjusted EBITDA exceeded our Q3 outlook, and our Adjusted EBITDA margin exceeded 3% for the first time. Simply put, the growth flywheel we built, coupled with rigorous cost discipline, is enabling us to generate strong leverage. We're exiting the year with tremendous momentum and reliable execution. Our Q3 results and Q4 outlook demonstrate that Uber continues to drive profitable growth at scale. We remain focused on scaling GAAP operating income and free cash flow, while also making disciplined investments to appropriately fund growth initiatives that will deliver long-term, sustainable financial value. Finally, I want to recognize and thank Nelson for his immense contributions to the company and his partnership with me over the past five years. Looking ahead, I'm thrilled to welcome Prashanth as our new CFO starting tomorrow, and I'm confident that he'll continue to build upon the great foundation that Nelson has built.
3: With that, let's open the call to questions.
0: Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. Our first question comes from Ross Sandler with Barclays. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, Dara, just a couple questions on the uh, mobility business. Could you just flesh out a little bit more in detail what, what the drivers of the acceleration in mobility gross bookings were in the third quarter? And as we look out over the next few years, what what do you see as the biggest drivers of sustainable mobility gross bookings growth now that we've kind of caught up with the pre-pandemic trip volume and frequency? What do you see for UberX versus the the, the new areas? Thanks a lot.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Ross. So, um, in terms of Q3, listen, the the quarter was strong across the board uh, in every single geography, pretty much in every single product. Um, but a couple of geographies to call out are the Asia-Pacific regions and the LATAM regions. Um, these areas accelerated pretty substantially on a year-on-year basis between Q3 and Q2 um, on big absolute numbers. Uh, and some of those countries were kind of very early in penetrating. So, for example, in Japan and South Korea, uh, you know, our penetration rate is uh, minuscule compared to where we are in the rest of the world. And some of the newer products that we're building out, for example, Hailable Taxi, uh, are very large parts of the marketplace. Again, in Japan and a Taiwan and a Hong Kong uh, and, and, and South Korea. Um, then we got products like Moto, which are two-wheelers uh, that are growing very, very quickly in Latin America as well, uh, in Brazil and a number of other Latin markets. So while the growth was pretty broad. Um, I do think that the APAC and LATAM markets in particular were super strong, partially because of some of the newer products that were rolling out. And then, if you look more broadly, like we had a very, very strong summer um, augmented by travel. As you know, travel has been absolutely booming, leisure travel and uh, Uber has a very high penetration of call the travel consumer. And then, what we're seeing now, back to school is also going very, very strong. Uh, so. That absolutely um, added to our Q3 strength and acceleration uh, that, frankly, surprised us in terms of a strength Um, in terms of the mobility business and kind of the growth construct. How do we think about the mobility business going forward multi year? We tend to look at the business from a business construct and then from a user construct, right? So from a business construct number one driver for growth, and this is of the core UberX business that grew over 20% on a year-on-year basis is about adding more drivers to the platform. We added, uh, we're now at six and a half million earners on our platform, up, 30, uh, up over 30% on a year-on-year basis. Uh, and this is a supply-led marketplace. As we add more drivers, the marketplace gets more liquid, ETAs come down, surge come down, uh, that pushes essentially demand. So adding more drivers essentially drives the marketplace. Then on top of that base business, we have the new growth initiatives that we've got uh, that we have. These are businesses that we've really built in the past five years, essentially from zero. These are hailables products, uh, you know, taxi, three-wheelers, two-wheelers our Uber for business product that is actually seeing some strength now, which is great, um, our Uber X share and low-cost products such as high-capacity high vehicles, and then Reserve as well. That collective is now $9 billion and is growing over 80% on a year on year basis. And then on top of that, you've got international markets with very big GDPs, where, as you know, we just weren't in those markets five years ago, and we've tuned our business model to be able to penetrate into those markets. These are the Germany, Spain, Argentina that grew more than 150% on a year on year basis, Japan, South Korea, and Turkey. Um, So really, you've got kind of a base business that's driven by supply. On top of that, you have a bunch of new products that are big, $9 billion uh, annual run rate growing uh, over 80% and then you've got these international markets, which are big GDP markets that we've got very low penetration to. So that's the business construct. And then the other way that we look at the business is actually from a consumer view, and that's about driving new audience, driving frequency, and then price as well. So if you think about audience, all of these new markets, the international markets uh, that we're getting to, many of them are entirely new audiences or you know, when we introduced taxi into a small village in the UK, that's new audience that comes onto our platform. Um, then when we think about audience, we think about demographics. So for example, for the high income consumer, we're introducing products like reserve, uh, where you can pay more for higher reliability. Uh, and we're we're seeing that reserve usage is actually incremental. And then for lower income consumers, we're introducing like UberX share, high capacity vehicles, et cetera. So demographically, we're expanding. Internationally, we're expanding. And then we also look at age. So like we we, uh, introduced Uber for teens for younger consumers. Turns out teens tend to use Uber just as much as adults do, which is great. And we think they'll continue to use it as they grow up. So that's the audience kind of construct for us, which is global, uh, income level, and age. And And we have products specifically for all three of those. And then when you get into frequency, You know, only a third of our annual users use us on a monthly basis. So our job is to increase that one third. Membership uh, is a very, very big driver there. As you, we got now 15 million Uber One members. Members spend four times more than non-members. So as we penetrate into the membership frequency uh, naturally uh, increases. All of the use cases that we're introducing, like Reserve, drive frequency as well. And then what we're also seeing is that that users who use more than one product on mobility and delivery tend to spend more on the platform. Uh, They spend up to three times more, for example, in mobility if they take two different products as well. That drives frequency as well. Uh, And then price this year essentially has been flattish, um, and that's a good thing. But I think going forward, you can expect our services to grow price along with inflation as well. Um, so, if you're driving audience, driving frequency, and then price is kind of where price taker, so
3: to speak, you get to a pretty good con- uh, growth construct over the long term. Thank you. You're welcome. Next question.
0: Our next question comes from Brian Nowak with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead.
5: Great. Thanks for taking my questions. I have, um, I have two sort of <clears throat> somewhat higher level of Dara. The first one I want to ask you is sort of on the the types of machine learning or data analytics that you've done on the platform so far, give us some examples of where you've been able to improve matching, improve conversion on the platform, and where do you still see more opportunities to improve that as you kind of look into 24? Then the second one, there's a there's been a lot sort of written in the press about new potential product extensions, travel, you mentioned B2B, et cetera. As you look at these, w- which of these new potential products are, have you most excited that could move the needle over the next couple years? Thanks.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Brian. So, uh, I think on the ML front, um, it's actually hard to say where ML can improve because it's pretty much in every part of our business. Like, we've been uh, developing and using machine learning for many, many years now. Just a couple of um, examples. Uh, might be like earner onboarding, right? Uh, You take that for granted, but actually now what we're using is, we're using machine learning technology uh, to, uh, like computer vision, to essentially allow uh, the machines to recognize documents more reliably, transcribe them accurately, so that your onboarding experience and the time to onboard be reduced drastically errors can be reduced as well so essentially you know machines can read these documents better than humans can that's one example on the productivity front uh, we're rolling out github copilot for software developers Um, we have already seen because of investments that we've made in our in our tooling our soft average software developer is much more productive now than they were two years ago and we think that github copilot will improve productivity and hopefully will also um, reduce mistakes on the platform as well. So they will, you know, we'll have ML algorithms debug uh, uh, developer code before that code kind of um, is tested, et cetera. So we think that's, that can increase the productivity of our, our business as well. Um, we're pretty excited about conversational support. Um, so these are uh, uh, large language-based tools that essentially help our customer service agents. Um, They will go through customer history, uh, they'll get details about the particular issue that the customer might be calling about or chatting about, and we'll be giving recommendations on uh, on what to do based on our policies all around the world. Humans have to kind of go through all these kinds of policies, now machines do, they give humans a recommendation, and eventually then machines are gonna be talking uh, with our customers on the front line as well, um, and then on on the delivery marketplace, uh, you know, and the mobility marketplace, we've been using advanced machine learning algos for routing, for matching, for pricing. All of these algos generally improve on a year-on-year basis uh, and accrue hundreds of millions of dollars of either incremental bookings. That call it uh, uh, VC neutral or can improve matching algorithms to reduce, let's say, cost per transaction on the delivery space. So these are just some of the areas where ML is, is working out. And listen, for us, ML is a powerful technology, period. But because we're the largest player in the world, we are gathering more data for more customers across a wider range of behaviors uh, than anybody else. So we think in a world where ML becomes more important, Uber becomes competitively stronger, so to speak, because of uh, the set of data that we have that's really unmatched and unrivaled, including, you know, customers who are engaging both in the mobility and the delivery marketplace. So, it's pretty powerful Um, in terms of the other use cases that that we're seeing. Listen, Uber for business is something that's very, very um, promising. Uh, uh, We continue to penetrate into the corporate space. It's great to see companies now get there. Uh, get their tra- uh, get their travelers on the road again, and we definitely saw an uptake there. But with Uber for business, we're also looking at verticals like health and transit as well that are very, very healthy and hold a ton of promise. Um, you know, for me, travel is uh, something that's very much in my heart because of my old Expedia days. Uh, and we've talked about travel being a very, very strong kind of signal for Uber and travelers, typically using Uber because of our global footprint. Um, kind of perspective here, in 2022, nearly 700 million trips globally were taken by consumer that's out of their primary city, uh, which is pretty amazing. And every quarter, about 20% of our users took a domestic trip outside of their primary city. So our users, um, they're high income earners, they tend to travel a lot, and that becomes a good, good kind of segment for us to target. We've done so in the UK where we're quite optimistic about um, our travel business in the UK. And some of the early signal that we see, for example, in the UK, you can book trains uh, and, and buses. Uh, 60% of train uh, and coach uh, users and 25% of our flight users are now repeat users on Uber as well. So they try the product because we have big audience, but more importantly, they're coming back to the product, which is great. Um so we got multiple avenues for growth and uh travel and business are are just one
3: amongst many, honestly.
6: Great. Thanks, Dara.
3: Yeah. Next question?
0: Our next question comes from Eric Sheridan with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead.
2: Thanks so much. And, and first, thanks to Nelson for all the insights and uh, uh, conversations over the years. Thanks. I'm wishing you best uh, going forward. Um, maybe Dara, I think two bigger picture ones for you. One on Uber One, as it continues to scale globally and the base of subscribers continues to build, what are some of the early learnings that have now translated into scale about how you're thinking about bringing that subscription to market more globally than in the early years and what that might mean for the business in the years ahead? That's not number one, and then on driver supply, we were in a very different position a year ago where you were using a lot of incentives on driver supply. As we come out of that period and things have normalized, how are you thinking about optimizing driver supply for efficiency, cost, maybe even insurance? So we should be thinking about that um, as an initiative going forward. Thanks so much. Sure, Eric. Um, so as far as Uber One goes and, and lessons uh, learned there, honestly, the the Uber One customer behavior has been pretty darn consistent in that um, Uber One consumers spend four times the amount that non-members uh, do on a monthly basis, uh, and retention is more than 15% higher uh, for members versus non-members. That pattern has remained. You know, there was some question to, hey, as we ex- as we ex- expand the user base, is that 4x going to come down to a 3x, for example? But that hasn't happened. The the 4x and the 15% retention uh, have continued. The focus now for us with, with Uber One, I'd say is, is, is threefold. One is keep expanding geographically. Uh, and we just introduced Uber One into a couple of more markets uh, as well. So now we got 15 million members across 18 countries. Number two is um, really focus on Uber One retention. Uh, and when you look at the Uber One benefits, the benefits are, typically monetary in nature. Uh, So you uh, get discounts on your food, uh, you get delivery for free, you get cash back on mobility. What we wanna do going forward is also provide uh, benefits that are non-monetary in nature. Let's say um, advanced matching uh, uh, upgrades to different cars or uh, head of the queue matching when you get into an airport uh, when there aren't that many cars around. Those are more non-monetary benefits that we think that our members will uh, very much appreciate. And the design spec there is to drive member retention. Retention levels are high, but they can always get higher, and we always want to make sure that we're not k- kind of driving just member growth. We also want to drive retention as well. And the third area is really optimizing around our mobility use case. You know, delivery already members count for more than 40 percent of bookings with uh, mobility, it's in the mid teens, it's much earlier in terms of penetration. And I think we can do a lot more in terms of the member experience for mobility users and just continuing to uh, optimize that. Um, turning to the driver supply question, you know, the, uh, our supply position is the best that it's been. We've got over six and a half million earners. And I would say, you know, those earners are, are actually. Earning uh, this quarter 15.9 billion dollars, which is up 23% on a constant currency basis. So we're really proud of um, our being one of the largest earnings, if not the largest earnings platform in the world in a flexible way. And the fact that earnings are actually going up faster than gross bookings, which is something that we're proud of. And at the same time, we're driving um, uh, we're driving the bottom line and free cash flow for investors. That, that's super attractive as well. That said, we are optimizing around our earners' costs. So we don't have to lean into incentives the way that we did previously. So if you look at our incentive spend for earners, uh, it's down about 41% on a year-on-year basis. Uh, Globally, it's down about 50% in the US because with the liquidity of the marketplace, kind of natural earnings levels are high at about $33 per utilized hour. Uh, across the US, it's 50 bucks here in New York City, uh, per utilized hours. So earning levels are high that allows us to take incentives down, but we're also working on other parts of onboarding efficiency. You know, when we run a background check, for example, for a driver, uh, and running a background check, you know, if we qualify a driver, if we know that driver is highly, highly interested, running a background check, if we don't think we can qualify, let's say that earner. Um delaying the background check that again, delays expenses as well. So across the um, across the business of bringing earners on, not just incentives,
3: we're looking to optimize the cost there. and so far, so good. Thank uh, you. next question You're welcome.
0: Our next question comes from Ron Josie with City. Your line is open.
6: Great. Thanks for taking the question, Dora. I wanted to ask a little bit more about the non-X gross bookings now at that $9 billion run rate, growing 80 percent. Are any of these new offerings—talk to us about how these new options are creating demand, and, and any products specifically seeing greater demand versus others, meaning reserve, comfort green over X, things along those lines. Thank you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: um, these new products are definitely creating demand, and, and, and they create demand in, in different ways. So, for example, uh Hale-ables or taxi product if you look at the number the percentage of new customers coming in from hailables, it's about twice the percentage of gross bookings that that taxi represents um that's because in a bunch of markets actually the only way we can penetrate into those markets is through taxi um japan is as an example we have a very very small high-end peer peer-to-peer business Uh, But we're going in, partnering with taxis in Japan. Uh, We actually just joined the Taxi Association in Japan as well, Um, and those taxis essentially are brand new supply, introduce us to a whole new audience in Japan, and actually for tourists coming into Japan as well, you know, kind of supports the local economy. Um, So that's an entirely new audience. That's true in many parts of Argentina, in Turkey. Um, uh, where these new business models essentially are bringing new audience. Um, the other one that I would point out to are low cost products. So if you look at Uber X share, for example. Um, it, it is, you know, it, it is taking some trips away from our Uber X business. Uh, we do see kind of lower income consumers move to Uber X share faster. So we think that's providing them relief, uh, based on kind of the economic hardships and all the inflation that we're seeing there, so we're absolutely seeing a higher penetration of UberX share for lower income consumers, but it's also introducing us to a new audience as well. Um, same thing in Moto. These are two-wheelers in Latin American, again, uh, newer, lower income uh, audience that previously couldn't afford Uber, now can, uh, can afford Uber as well. So. Um, all of these either drive audience or frequency or both. Um, and obviously, they're strategic in terms of our long term growth uh,
3: uh, formula. Great. Thank you, Dara. You're welcome. Uh, next question
0: Our next question comes from Doug Anmuth with JP Morgan. Please go ahead.
5: Thanks for taking the questions. One for Dara and one for Nelson. Um, Dara, what do you view as some of the primary compounding advantages you're currently achieving just across operational best practices? And where do you see the biggest opportunities going forward? And Nelson, you've improved profit significantly over the past year. Incremental margins now running at about 9% in 3Q. How are you thinking about key investments in hiring into 24? Thanks.
2: Absolutely, Doug. So, in in terms of the compounding advantages, I'll I'll go back to what I was talking about in terms of machine learning, which is becoming a much more important part of of the business. So, we're just, we have more data points in terms of opportunities to match riders to drivers or eaters to restaurants to couriers. Um, And, and for example, if you take a look at our driver upfront pricing, uh, the change that we made, um, It had a huge benefit for drivers, right? Drivers can see where their destination is, uh, and and as a result can accept or not accept that trip based on destination and upfront price uh, that they see. It's a very, very powerful driver of the business. Um, But it also is another opportunity for us to price out that trip. Previously, drivers are paid based on time and distance. Um, Anyone can price based on time and distance. So the amount of data that you have doesn't help you, you know, calculate a certain per mile rate and uh, a certain time rate uh, as well. So there's zero kind of benefit to scale. Now, in a world where drivers know their destination, we can price out that destination. We have more opportunities to price. We have more drivers than anyone else in the marketplace. So we'll be able to price out that trip and match it to a particular driver based on a bigger data set than anyone else in the world. That advantage compounds as our machine learning kind of platform learns more about different trips, which ones are accepted, which ones are not accepted, which ones are canceled as well. So all of our marketplace mechanisms in terms of routing, in terms of matching, in terms of pricing, now are essentially point estimates that uh, we can train on a larger database than anyone else. Um, if you look at payments, for example, we announced a great new partnership with PayPal, uh, and our ability to, you know, we're one of the largest uh, players out there in terms uh, in terms of bookings. You know, 35 billion dollars in bookings in a quarter, growing at a rate that most players our size aren't growing. So. On the payment side, for example, we think we can secure lower payment costs than other players. That's going to compound. Uh, if you look at um, uh, parts of our business like detecting fraudulent activity, um, there are lots of fraudsters out there. They are being armed by machine learning, uh, and uh, we can detect patterns across a greater um, set of use cases, both in mobility and delivery, so that we can identify, let's say, the bad folks from the good folks, differentiate them and reject the bad folks and have them maybe uh, go, go try to steal from other platforms. All of these different parts of the business are compounding in one way or the other. Many of them are powered by machine learning. And again, if you've got the most data in the world, your ML algos typically have an advantage over smaller players.
4: So, so Doug, in terms of our ability to balance growth uh, and, and profitability, uh, as you know, f- you know, since we went public, Dara and I have been talking about our capital allocation process. Uh, we laid out our, our three-year targets last year. Uh, and if you look at the performance of the company, uh, we've been in line at the top line and overachieved at the bottom uh, every single quarter. Uh, and if you look at the guidance, again, it's, it's very, very, very constructive if you think about it. Uh, you heard Dara talk a lot about where the business is going and some of the growth. Our mobility business, uh, the gross bookings were up 30% in Q3. And that's why we're continuing to invest in the businesses. So if you think about it, where we are today on, on both delivering the bottom line, but investing for the future, we're starting to see some of these new new growth initiatives scale. New mobility products are at a $9 billion gross bookings run rate. New verticals are at a $6 billion gross bookings run rate. So we're delivering the bottom line. We're delivering free cash flow. Uh, we've delivered gap operating income, as we've talked about, over the past three years, uh, while we're driving a lot of top line growth. And so the business is in terrific shape as you think about how we're going into 24 and beyond. Uh, And again, we are balancing our capital allocation model. We probably do a little optimize to make sure we we deliver on the bottom, Um, but we are able to fund a certain growth initiative. So we have a lot of confidence in terms of where we are. And as you heard from uh, Dara's commentary on all the growth vectors we have, uh, we're pretty bullish about where the company's headed.
3: Thank you both. You bet. Next question.
0: Our next question comes from Benjamin Black with Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead.
5: Great, thanks for taking the question. Um, You know, you you obviously scored a nice regulatory win in New York um, last week, but we still have the DOL, the EU Platform Directive, Prop 22 in California. So it would be great if you could give us sort of a lay of the land on the regulatory funds. And do you feel comfortable operating um, sort of in any employment classification outcome? And then just quickly, you know, there Clearly, concerns around the crisis in the Middle East—we've heard that from other travel companies. Could you sort of help size your exposure there, and have you seen any impact to demand since the conflict began? Thank you.
2: Uh, sure, absolutely. So, in, in terms of the regulatory framework, the first thing I'd say is we can operate under any regulatory framework. So, uh, we think the right framework is a framework that preserves flexibility uh, for for drivers and couriers while providing them protections. Um, And for example, our uh, settlement with uh, New York AG and the DOL provides for, you know, uh, earners to be able to earn flexibly on the platform with minimum earnings uh, uh, and other protections as well, insurance protections. That we think is the right framework going forward. Uh, It's the same framework that voters voted for in Prop 22 in California. Um, and if I look big picture, generally the world is moving towards uh, this model, which is uh, earn flexibly uh, with benefits such as minimum earnings and other benefits out there that, that are important on a state-by-state basis or on a country-by-country basis. And for us, it's really entering into dialogue um, with all the constituencies to get to the right solution there. Um, There are some markets uh, where drivers are employees of, for example, fleets with which we do business. Uh, This is in some of our European businesses, uh, European markets, they uh, are employees of fleets. We contract with these fleets and these fleets are on our platform as well. And those markets are profitable as well. The price to the end consumer is higher. uh, And drivers, frankly, miss the flexibility that they have Uh, in markets where independent contractor plus, uh, model is the right model going forward. So, if I zoom out. The regulatory uh, framework that we see is not about whether or not we're in a market or not, whether or not we do business there or not. It's about whether or not our earners have flexibility to work on our platform, the way that they want to work on our platform when they want to work on our platform, where they want to work on our platform. And what the price is to the end consumer. And generally, I would say that across the world, this—you know—there are absolutely exceptions. Um, most uh, countries, most most states are moving in the
3: direction of flexibility plus benefits and protections. Uh, and then, in terms of the Middle East, uh, so the Middle
2: East is about represents about two percent of our overall gross bookings uh, of the business. So it's a relatively small part of our business now. Um, Certain parts of the Middle East are quite profitable, uh, so it's a very attractive geography to us. Um, Generally, we are seeing some weakness in a couple of countries in the Middle East. Egypt, for example, is one that that I would point out. Uh, But we don't operate in Israel. We don't operate in the West Bank, so we're not affected in any way directly. Um, And any weakness that we see in the Middle East is, uh, is very, very small compared to the rest of the business. Um, we were a little worried, you know, will companies cut back on travel? Would would people cut back g- generally on travel? And actually, with our Uber for Business segment, we're seeing travel spent up. Whereas some of the companies that we ha- we contracted with were saying, you know, either no travel or travel when necessary. Now it's kind of use your judgment, uh, and we're seeing um, a bit of acceleration in our Uber for Business uh,
3: business, which is uh, quite encouraging going forward. Great, uh, thank question. you much. You're
0: welcome. Our next question comes from Ken Goralski with Wells Fargo. Please go ahead.
5: Thank you so much, uh, and uh, let me reiterate uh, thanks, Nelson, uh, for the partnership over the years. Uh, two questions, if I may. Uh, first, um, you, you talked about um, j- just broadening out a little bit on the macro side. Um, I know you just talked about the Middle East specific exposure, but you could talk. Could you talk a little bit more broadly? Um, Some of your travel related peers have seen macro weakness more broadly uh, than the Middle East uh, into October. Why do you think rideshare growth quarter date hasn't been impacted? And then I guess maybe the bigger picture question there is how do you think more broadly about the the economic sensitivity of the business? And then the second question please is, um, if active driver growth continues to outpace trip growth, how do you think about balancing you know, a, a potential take rate opportunity versus expanding use cases and and growing the growing the addressable market. Thank
2: you. Yeah. So in general, um, uh, listen, we we've been looking for pockets of consumer spending weakness across our platforms, both our mobility platform and delivery platform. You know, we read the news, we watch CNBC just like anyone else, and, and frankly, we haven't found it. Um, uh, I think part of the reason is that when you look at consumer spend, one, the U.S. consumer is incredibly strong, uh, and, and two, I think within the consumer spend bucket, uh, if you look at spend on services versus spend on retail, spend on services is not is still not back to where pre-pandemic spend was. Uh, so, we do think that there, the tailwind that we've seen in terms of spend on services continues. It could continue going forward. It's very difficult to predict. And and what we have seen with Uber is that Uber is a local type of product. So I do think that, you know, consumers during periods of elevated perceived risk, they sometimes pull back on higher, um, call it uh, higher spend product, whether it's, you know, renovating their house or booking a big vacation during uncertain times, they may not, but they'll still treat themselves to you know, great uh, food uh, sushi delivered to them, or they'll still go out to the restaurant. They'll still go see their friends. So I think the local nature of our business makes us relatively resistant to macro uncertainty, um, because it's re- usually the the big, the large price product that got priced out uh, first. Um, in terms of active driver growth, uh, you know, we are uh, – active driver growth is absolutely growing faster at this point than, than TRIPS. Um, we generally want to keep take rate as low as possible uh, because we think that's the right thing to do long term and kind of is the – is the uh, allows us to compound for a much longer time period. Now, incentives are a part of our take And as we said, incentive spend uh, has been down pretty substantial on a year on year basis, Uh, and so that is a tailwind on our take rate. But otherwise, what we want to do is to maximize long term uh, free cash flow growth, maximize long term earnings per share at the lowest take rate that we can because it drives us to be more efficient as a business going forward. So we try not to kind of push take rate opportunistically because the cycle's gonna move the other way, and when it moves the other way,
3: it's really gonna hurt um, if you're not structured with a low cost base. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, next question.
0: Our next question comes from Michael Morton with Moffat Nathanson. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, thank you for the question. I wanted to talk a little bit about the new growth opportunities and mobility. Uh, in the past, Dara, you've spoken about aspirations for reserve penetration of like, total airport trips. And we'd love to know if you're seeing the product in the market for some time now, uh, how how you see this opportunity, how large it could get uh, reserves as a percentage of airport bookings, And then looking outside of travel and airport bookings, maybe uh, the impact you think reserve could have on the other aspects of the mobility business. And then just a second question, quick one. On your advertising product, you've really made a lot of progress since uh, rolling this out. And I would love to learn some more about how you believe your offering meets the needs from large enterprises. Uh, Seems like there's a lot of demand for the large sophisticated enterprises, but they're more demanding when it comes to advertising solutions. And the product has historically been overweight to kind of SMBs. So any update there would be great as well. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, absolutely
2: so in terms of reserve, listen reserve is um, a very very promising product continues to grow at significant rates, uh, but it's still pretty early in terms of reserve de- development. Uh, we typically now account for one out of uh, the four legs of um, uh, of the airport you know if you if you go to the airport you get picked up and then you come back and you get picked up, et cetera. We typically only cover one out of those four legs, so we think that Increased penetration at airport is absolutely a significant opportunity for us and we're very early in that penetration i do think that reserve as a product while it's very good at picking you up at your home dropping you off at the airport or picking you up at your hotel and getting you to the airport on your way back i think we can do a lot more in terms of the experience uh for the for the uh the rider who is arriving in the airport you know we have you put in your flight information so that the driver knows when you're arriving. We automatically account for um, delays, et cetera. Uh, You can upload the information from your Google Calendar onto our product, et cetera. So there's a lot that we've done, but there's some hyper optimization to be done in terms of arrivals. um, And generally for airport pricing algorithms, you know, whereas we were pricing generally for the market, now we're focused on really the airport experience. And I think the airport experience, uh, in terms of finding where the pickup area is, the pricing, the supply that we have in airports, is something that it's best to breathe, but frankly, I think we can, we can improve on. Um, we are seeing some reserve usage for other types of use cases going out to dinner, et cetera. Uh, and there we think it's about optimizing the premium that reserve represents over Uber X versus the reliability. Uh, and there is a trade-off there. You know the if you want ninety nine point nine percent reliability in reserve, the premium over Uber X on demand is going to be quite high. Uh, and on a market by market basis, and kind of on a consumer segment by consumer segment basis, we're trying to optimize what's that trade-off between price and reliability that can maximize our reserve volume. and again, we think there's a lot more optimization to be done there. Um, in terms of advertising for, for large entities, I, I think your um, your question is spot on. Uh, in that, the majority of our ad revenue at this point is uh, uh, SMBs, et cetera. It's a pretty simple, um, you know, pay for uh, pay for audience and pay for additional business model. The return on ad sales are excellent. Uh, return on ad sales are you know, on average, anywhere from 7X to 10X your, your spend. So this is a very profitable endeavor for our product, uh, for our partners, which is great. We are building out more sophisticated technology for our larger advertisers that, frankly, will also offer to our smaller advertisers. Um, they may be, for example, amongst other uh, products, the ability to target new customers. Uh, and then being able to track those new customers when they become repeat customers. for grocery products, for example, is to integrate their membership and loyalty programs into Uber Eats so that their loyalty pro, uh, their their loyalty consumers can go direct or they can go through eats uh, and you know kind of in that way, they get to build the relationship with those those loyalty members as well. We are working in, uh, increasingly on building out tool sets that can help larger advertisers measure the incrementality of the advertising and not just the return on ad sales of that advertising as well. And then we're also helping our larger advertisers with day, part, uh, with day parts. They may, for example, we've had certain larger advertisers who really wanna promote breakfast um, and wanna go you know, over promote breakfast because it's something that they're introducing and we allow and we allow kind of day part targeting as well. So all of these are relatively newer uh, tools, and we think those tools are going to get a higher penetration of the larger advertisers, both in our Uber Eats business, but just as importantly, CPG advertisers for our grocery business, and of course we got the branded business uh, in our mobility segment and our delivery segment as well. So. We think we're well on our way to a billion dollars plus, which was a target for our ad business. Uh, that we set a few years ago, Uh, and we continue to be very, very pleased with our progress. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of potential in this business. So
3: we're not nearly. Uh, even midstream in terms of of its its development. Thank you. All right uh, next question.
5: I think we got 1 more.
0: Our next question comes from Mark Mahaney with Evercore. Please go ahead.
5: Okay, thanks. Two questions, please. You talk about this uh, net headcount being net headcount being down roughly 1% sequentially and, and uh, looking for ways to demonstrate further operating leverage going forwards. Are you at a point now where you can roughly keep uh, headcount flattish, uh, you know, or just growing low single digit percent for the foreseeable future? And then secondly, you talk about in the next earnings call, I think, or next quarter, you're going to provide an update on returning capital to shareholders. Could you, I know you'll make that announcement then, but what are the options, a uh, reasonable range of options that, uh, that investors should think about with that? Thanks Thanks
4: a lot. So in terms of the headcount, yes, uh, Mark, we do believe that we can continue to move forward uh, with flat or very small incremental headcount. And so that's what we are planning as we go forward. Uh, as you know, we've pretty held, we've had pretty steadfast since 2019 in terms of where the headcount's been. Uh, and we continue to get that operating leverage and you're seeing in the bottom line. And so the team is pushing hard to try to maintain that discipline. Uh, because again, we continue to try to deliver while we're investing, by the way, in the growth that, that you heard Dara outline before. So we certainly can uh, in terms of capital returns. So, as you know, I'm, I'm handing the baton over to my able new partner over here. Who's going to who's, gonna, who's kind of stepping in tomorrow as CFO. So, it's certainly 1 of the, high, the 1st priorities that, that he and Dara are going to walk through. Um, I'm, he's fortunate because he's getting a business that's in great shape as you know. Um, As you know, we are now eligible for S&P inclusion, and so it's really a matter from a corporate action perspective of an opportunity. We're well on our way to investment grade as well, so he'll get that benefit as well. And so uh, he also understands the fact that uh, capital return is is something that's come up from investors. Uh, We've been pretty workmanlike in terms of two years ago, we talked about uh, getting to EBITDA profitability. Last year, we talked about getting to free cash flow. This year, we talked about getting to GAP. The uh, operating income at some point, and as you know, especially based on where our projections are we will be gap operating income for the full year. Uh, and so, we know next year capital return will be a, a, a big question. Uh, and I know if you look at his background, he has a lot of experience in terms of doing it. Uh, you know, the forms, whether it's buybacks or dividends, I think that he will look at the, the full suite and has a lot of experience in his past life doing it. So, I'm confident that when he addresses investors um, in February, which I believe will be the next time that he'll be uh, ready to at least give a perspective uh, on that for, for investors.
3: Thank you, Nelson. Wishing you all the best. Thank you very much, Mark.
0: This will conclude our question and answer session. I will now turn the call back to Uber's CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi for any closing remarks.
2: All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in, in this quarter. Huge thanks to the Uber team uh, who keeps uh, – uh, delivering uh, with flat or down headcount, which is uh, pretty amazing. They're, they're working pretty hard. Um, thank you to our partners, our restaurant partners, earners without whom we wouldn't be able to deliver any of these services. Uh, and then a big thank you again. We said it before, but I'll say it again uh, to Nelson, who has been an incredible partner on this journey. Uh, I think Nelson was saving uh, the best for last. And this is definitely the best. So thank you, Nelson for. Uh, Everything you've
4: contributed to the company, we won't, we won't be here without you. So, first of all, I, I should say this. So, look, I'm really, really proud of the collective work that we've all done over my five years. The company is really, really well positioned to continue to grow at scale, uh, deliver increasing uh, profitability and free cash flow. Um, my hope is the company continues to you know, maintain the discipline that's allowed us to deliver against our commitments. And I do want to thank Dara for his partnership and all of Uber because. You know, it's really given me an incredible opportunity and I'm very proud of the work we've done together and to come into a company that's, you know, the verb and leave in in such good shape, I think, is uh, about all you can ask for. So, again, I thank you and I really thank Dara a lot for his partnership because we've been great partners over the five years. All right. Thank you,
3: everyone. Thank Thank you. you,
4: Nelson.
0: This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.